those realities and these realities here would bring us joy and uh, that we would be a people marked by joy, uh, maybe because of the circumstances you have us in now, uh, recognizing that they're a gift from you. Uh, but even when circumstances would not normally bring happiness, God, that our, our, our eyes and our minds would be fixed on that day when we are with you, understanding that uh, the troubles of this world are temporary, and yet um, being with you in eternity uh, is forever, God. And so I pray that we would be a people marked by our joy because of who you are. So God, please continue to teach us this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in a, a new series here this summer, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm excited for what we're going to learn here. Now, I want you to, as we start off, uh, imagine yourself visiting a family member in the hospital. Let's say they just had surgery, or um, they have COVID, and they're in the hospital and so you're, you're going to visit them, and as you're walking down the hallway towards their room, you hear crying coming from one of the rooms. And so you slow down, one, maybe to, to, to show some respect to obviously what people are, are struggling with in that room, but, but you slow down also uh, just outside of their doorway, and you stop because you want to hear what's going on in there. You hear the nurse say to the elderly man in the bed, we're sorry, but you only have a few hours left to live. Of course, everybody would be all tore up. No wonder they're crying, right? But then you hear the elderly man say, my family, please come close. I have something I want to say. Just imagine the gravity of that moment there's something about a person's last words that carry more weight, and rightly so, stop us in our tracks, listening. What are they going to say? That's what we're going to be doing all summer, actually. We're going to be considering last words of different characters in the Bible, right? Finding out of all the things that they could have said, what did they say? And this morning, we're going to begin with the final words of Moses, which are recorded in the closing chapters of Deuteronomy. You can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Now, Moses has led the, the, the nation of Israel through the desert for the last 40 years, right, which had to have been like the world's longest road trip. It's pretty much what was happening all right, here is their trip, all right? So they, they weren't probably in Cairo, but I just, I just plugged it in because I wanted you guys to get an idea. They're going from Egypt up to the region of what we now understand as Jerusalem, traveling through the desert. And as you guys can see, right, maybe you hadn't seen it yet, Google Maps, you can plug in how long would it take to walk there. Guess what? 148 hours, maybe a couple of weeks at most. That's how long it should have taken. In fact, Deuteronomy 1 starts out by making a point of this. It says in verse 2, right off the bat, it says that where they came from and where they were going towards is an 11-day journey, right? Almost to remind the readers that what took 40 years should have taken them 11 days. 
but it took him a lot longer, a whole lot longer. Not because Moses is bad with directions, right? No, it was because of their sinfulness, their idolatry, their complaining, their repeated rebellion against God. But they finally arrived, almost. They're at the edge of the Jordan River. They're right here, if you can see that star, kind of right up in the uh, upper right-hand corner. Um, You have a tiny little sea up top. That's the Sea of Galilee. You have the Jordan River going down, and you have, um, why am I blanking on that? It's not the Red Sea. What is that? Is it just, what is it? Where is, what's the body of water down? You got Galilee, Jordan River. The Red Sea is way down south. Dead Sea. Come on. Dead Sea. So, I've been in the Dead Sea, and if you've been hiking for like 10 days, it does not feel good. I just couldn't think of, of, of where it was. Um, so, so you can see where they are just north of the Dead Sea, just about ready to enter the Promised Land. All of the people that were here with Moses now, all of them have been born within the last 40 years because their parents and their grandparents, they've all died. Moses is the last of the generation who witnessed firsthand God miraculously bringing them out of Egypt and all that came with it, right? God coming down on Mount Sinai, speaking with Moses, giving Moses the law, Moses coming down out of the mountain with his face glowing because of those interactions, right? And this is a massive moment. An entire generation has passed away awaiting this very moment, crossing into the promised land. And this generation has known nothing but waiting for this moment to come. And just before they go in, Moses pulls all of them together to retell the entire story of the last 40 years. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. Moses preaches three sermons to the people on the edge of the Jordan River. And then he concludes with what we're going to look at this morning. By the way, he's 120 years old. He's about ready to die. And these are his last words. You'll find them in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. It's a song, actually. So, so what Moses is doing, I don't know if he, if he sung it to them, which is actually kind of a, a pretty cool or, or, or kind of a crazy thought to think that maybe he sung this to them, although their singing was not like our singing today. It was just, it's more rhythmic, uh, not quite chanting, but something more like that. But either way, what, what we're going to look at is this song, and the lyrics of this song were provided by God. In fact, look at what God says just a few verses prior in chapter 31, verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, behold, you are about to lie down with your father's Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. Took kind of a right-hand turn, didn't it? And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. 
put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. Can you imagine that? Moses has spent 40 years with these people. He's seen all of them grow up. He has literally given his life to these people. And God tells him, they're going to reject me. Next verse, verse 20. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. God says, you're going to die, Moses. I'm going to bring these people into an incredible land because I swore that I would and I do not break my promise. But they will. They'll break their part of this covenant relationship. Their eyes will gaze upon the false gods of the nations around them and they will give themselves up to these false gods. And what's God going to do because of how they will act? Answer simple. Judgment. But you got to understand, God did not say, and this is important for us to hear. God did not say, I have randomly decided to do this. As he says in verse 17, he's not randomly forsaking them or randomly hiding his face from them. No, he's saying, I will bring judgment, verse 18, because of all the evil that they have done. Because they have turned to other gods. In other words, this judgment that Moses is now being called to to proclaim to all, this judgment is self-inflicted. It's not a random act of wrath, as some would say God does, but it's a decisive execution of judgment. And God says, give them this song so that when they rebel, And when judgment comes, this song will be ringing in their ears and never be able to forget it. Moses is being tasked as his final act with the nation of Israel to bring a message with three truths. First, man will, when left to his own sinful ways, rebel against God. Second, God is just. And chooses a day when he will execute judgment. And third, God is also compassionate. Which means there's hope. Because of his love. Because of his mercy. Imagine if this were your final act. All your life leading up to this, this is your final act. These are your final words as they were for Moses. So let's look at the song now, chapter 32. We're not going to be able to read it all. By the way, it'd take too long. I tried it yesterday at six and a half minutes. We can't do that. But I want to read large enough chunks so that you guys can see these three, three truths that I've just listed here. Verse one. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Right, so it's not just the, the people. It's the whole earth. All the heavens, all the earth, hear what is being said. May my teaching drop as the rain. 
My speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Moses starts with a praise to God. A declaration of attributes about God, and they're not just random attributes, certain attributes of God. One, he is perfect, he is just, he is faithful, just again, he says it twice, and he's upright. So twice he's drawing the audience's attention to the justice of God. It's like, it's like your parents sitting you down and saying, now... You know, we always try to do the best we can as parents, and we we try to be as good to you as we can. But you also know that it's our job to make sure that you don't break our family's rules. You'd be like, oh no. Either you know what you did, and they're now confronting you in it, or maybe you didn't even realize, right, but... This is not a fun conversation that's about ready to happen, is it? It's exactly what's going on here. Right? Why is it not going to be fun? Well, because when left to our own sinful ways, we will rebel against God. Verse 5. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted Generation, skip to verse seven. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, he will show you. Your elders, they will tell you. Skip again to 10. He's talking about the nation of Israel here. He says, God found them in a desert land. God found them in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. This is what the elders and the fathers would have told them the story of God's work in the nation's life. Verse 11, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd, and milk from the flock, with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan, and goats. Verse 15, Bajeshurun, which is just another name for Israel. It grew fat, and they kicked. You grew fat, stout, sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Verse 18, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. This is going to be the story of the nation of Israel. It really kind of already has over those 40 years. But what Moses is saying here is this is going to be the story of your existence. Which is really the story of all humanity. Created by a glorious God, given everything we need for life, food, 
purpose, companionship, all there from the beginning in the garden. And these things that were gifts from God were meant to draw our gaze back up to him who is the giver, and yet these things have turned into the objects that people worship. And Moses, as a prophet of God, is looking at these people who are so filled with hope for this land that they're about ready to enter, right? They're so thrilled for this, this land flowing with milk and honey that they're going to live in that's going to provide everything that they possibly need after spending 40 years in this. And he tells them, you're going to worship that someday. You're going to worship that and you're going to worship all the false gods that all the other people in that land worship. You are going to forget the God who gave you birth. Which is going to lead to what? At some point in time, because you see, God is patient. He'll put up with rebellion a lot longer than we ever would, but at some point in time, he is going to bring judgment because he's just Verse 19, the Lord saw it and spurned them, or maybe your translation says, he despised them. So what does he say? Verse 20, I will hide my face from them. Verse 23, I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. In summary, it's bad. Right, it goes on like this for 17 entire verses. It ends in verse 35 with this statement. Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. Which we find that exact same phrase in the New Testament, don't we? That might sound familiar to you all. Once in Romans 12, 19, and a second time in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 and 31. The author of Hebrews is writing, he says, For we know him, we know the God who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay a direct quote from here. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's talking about this God, right? And the point of it all is, verse 31 in Hebrews 10, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Just imagine how scary this must have been for the people. Of all the things Moses could have told them, like they're getting ready to celebrate crossing into this land that they've been waiting all of their life. And the words that God puts in Moses' mouth to give to them is judgment. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Fearful, yes, but necessary. Because if God were not perfectly just, then he'd really be no God at all. All right, I want you guys to follow with me with this. Think about it. Could we call a judge a good judge? If he hears a case... He hears the evidence. He declares the person guilty of breaking the law. But then he sits up there and he says, but you know what? I'm having a good day. I'm feeling nice. I'm just going to let you go. I'm not going to put any sentence on you. Is that a good, is that a righteous judge? 
He might be nice, right? But that's not righteous. He's not doing his job of being a judge. Just imagine the lawlessness, the chaos. Do you want a judge who never enforces the law or executes justice? I don't. I don't want a nice judge. That's no judge at all. But I do want a merciful judge. And God, the merciful judge, is perfectly pictured in Romans 3. Romans 3, 25. Paul has just described God, the judge, who once and for all executed his justice. Right? Executing that sentence of death, payment of sins, once and for all on Jesus. Propitiation. Pouring out his wrath for the sins of the world for all time on Jesus. And listen to what Paul says. He says, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You guys, it's so important that we understand this. In fact, one author says that this is the very heart of the Christian message where the holiness and the wrath of God are satisfied on the cross. The entire story of history, right, the entire message of this world and of the Bible that we read and we believe in turns on the cross because God, the perfect judge, has shown himself to also be the righteous judge because he didn't just let somebody go. He ultimately sent his son to bear the price, to bear the judgment for sin. God is just. It should strike fear in us like the author of Hebrews put it. But it doesn't have to be the sort of fear that drives us to run and and hide out of his sight No, it's just the opposite. It should drive us to plead for mercy. Which is incredible because he's offered it to all. Right? That's why the good news is good news. Because God is not only just, but he is also, as he says right here in Deuteronomy 32, he is also compassionate. Which we find in verse 36. He always has been. He always will be. Verse 36, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone. There's none remaining bond or free. The day is going to come, says Moses, when God will restore his people. In fact, not just restore, but atone to pay for and cover their sins. That's how this entire song ends in verse 43. Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will return vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. So we have this song filled with bad news and predictions of judgment, but it ends with this silver lining, ending with hope. And with that, he's done, literally with this. Moses is done. Moments later, verse 48 says, that very day, that very day God tells him, I want you to go up to this mountain, Moses, right here, 
called Mount Nebo. Look out across the land of Canaan, the promised land. I want you to see it, but just know that you don't get to go into it because of your own sin against me. Let's flip ahead to chapter 34. Moses goes up to the mountain, and he looks out over it all. And as he's looking out over it, God says to him in verse 4, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it. A little bit of that grace of God. I've let you see it. But you shall not go over there. I can't imagine what this moment would have been like. He gave his life for the day he'd get to step foot on that land only to come right up to its edge, literally seeing it, but never making it. My, uh, my mom had a song that she used to play on the piano. Maybe she still does, I don't know. I always loved it. It was a beautiful song, uh, but it was, it was a sad song. It's one of those that there are no lyrics, but you just hear it, right? And you musicians probably, I don't know, maybe it was a minor key, I'm not sure, but it was just one of those one of those songs that just kind of moves you without even any words. And its title was Mount Nebo. It's this place right here. It's this scene right here. In God's justice, he determined that Moses would not enter the promised land. But in God's compassion, he would take Moses, he'd show him that land, and then as Moses died on that mountain... God would bury him himself. The only time God has ever done anything like that. He buried Moses himself. Nobody knows where he was buried. In fact, we have a count of angel and demon arguing about Moses' body. Right? Because nobody knows where it was, only God. It's a bittersweet ending. Now, the last words of Moses could have been nothing but bitter right? You think about this message that he just gave to the people. It would have been nothing but better if but not for the compassion and the sovereign plan of God. We might be tempted to say, wow, God, you really let Moses down there. He served you so faithfully all those years, and for one mistake, one sin, you withheld this incredible prize of the promised land from him. But here's the reality, right? For one, who would he question God? But for another, I think Moses knew to one degree or another that he was part of something much bigger than just leading this swarm of people through the desert. The reason I say that is because in Hebrews 11, it talks a little bit about Moses. In verse 24 through 26, it says, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So what reward? The writer of Hebrews tells us just a few verses earlier, verse 13. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Moses knew he wasn't primarily serving these people, pursuing this land of Canaan. He knew that he was serving almighty God, pursuing a heavenly land. And who would have thought? The man who, when God first called him all those years before, remember what he said? When God first called him, oh Lord, I'm, I'm not eloquent. I'm a man of slow speech. Who would have thought that that same man would one day have, by God, these final words put into his mouth that not only would be sung for generations in Israel, remember that's what God said, these, are gonna be, these words will never be forgotten, they will be sung for all generations in Israel, not only would those words be sung for generations in Israel, but they're still being sung in heaven. Revelation 15 is the picture of the nations praising God in heaven. And they sing the song of Moses, the song, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying, and here's the part that they sing, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. If I could sum up the last words of Moses, I would say this Man is sinful. God is just, but God is also compassionate. And for those who surrender at his feet, accepting his gift of grace and mercy by faith, they, we, will be singing this song for all eternity. For you, O King of the nations, are holy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what an example this was of, of a man that even we think we could never live up to, and yet a man who was not living for himself, but was living for you. The example of the fact that our life probably will not turn out like we thought, but when we live as if just passing through as strangers and in exiles, God, that whatever our life might bring us through, however our life might end, God, we can sing your praises and, and we can look forward to with hope of eternity with you. God, I pray that each person here didn't miss the message that Moses gave to your people several thousand years ago, a message that is just as true today, that when we are left in our sin, we are rebellious, you are just, there is judgment, and yet because of your compassion, because of your love, because of your mercy, you have offered a way for us to escape that judgment because of Christ's death on the cross. So God, I pray that you, you challenge us with this message and you encourage us with this message as well and that we would live more 
uh, focused on you, more focused on that heavenly city because of what we've been reminded of today from Deuteronomy. Bless the conversation now, God. I pray that it continue to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys have numbers. Go ahead, break it in.